have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned.
Would you stand and let's sing together?
this God of redemption, this God of holiness, this God of constant presence, and this God of strength is the one who invites us into relationship and into confession this morning. We've gathered to praise, to give thanks, and also to confess our sins to God and to one another. So I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession this morning. The words will be on the screen. I will read the words that are written in white, and then when the time comes, I invite you to join me as the congregation in the words that are in orange. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we confess our willingness to be loved, but also our reluctance to love. We confess our readiness to accept your forgiving love, but also our refusal to forgive. We confess our eagerness to grasp your offer of redeeming love, but also our resistance to follow you without question. In this Advent time, forgive us our failure to respond as you desire. Come to us anew, and by your grace, assist us to receive you with joy as the shepherds, with gratitude as Simeon, with obedience as Mary, with love as you have loved us. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's continue to join our voices together in worship and singing this next song. Savior of the nations, come, virgin son, here make thy home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a
Well, good morning, Fellowship Church friends and guests. The Lord be with you. We are building up towards this Christmas season. How many of you have Christmas parties under your belt already? Not quite yet. Oh, yeah, quite a few. Yeah, two of us, two of them yesterday for us, too. My name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We're always eager to be in that together and to welcome more into it with us. And so if you are new, and particularly if you're with us online and you can see us, but we can't see you and you'd like to make yourself known, we invite you to fill out a connection card. They're available in the sanctuary, but also online. Uh, When you're ready uh, to make yourself known to us, uh, we'd love to get to know you. Also, uh, a key part of our life together is this bulletin, which you have either in person or digital version online, and uh, a variety of things in it that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, Right in the middle there, we have our Advent reflection, uh, highlighting the book that's available out back to some announcements, and then also on the back, some care concerns uh, for our congregation. We invite you to be in prayer for one another in this particular season. One thing that did not make it on on the list in the back that I'd like to make you aware of is Martin and Carol DeVries. Carol was admitted to the hospital yesterday. She actually went to Holland Hospital and there were no more beds available, so she ended up in Zealand where she got one of the last beds available, which is a reminder to be in, con- in care for them and also for our whole community right now, which is in its uh, health crisis, uh, and also for our healthcare workers who are working tirelessly uh, on our behalf. So keep all of those things and others on this bulletin in your prayers, if you would, please. Also, uh, uh, for our life together this coming Wednesday night, we have a fun gathering that we're calling Christmas Carols and Kids Pageant. It will be a time where we come together to sing Christmas carols joyfully, and then also to have our kids dress up in costume and share the Christmas story together. It's a night where we intend to take God seriously, but not take ourselves too seriously. Our theme is like on the front of your bulletin, tuning into Christmas, kind of old school radio style, including even a couple commercials that will come your way where we'll have the fellowship version of the Target Lady, who is very excited about Christmas, and also the progressive guy who is trying to help people not become their parents. So we'll have that uh, as part of our life together as well. That is this coming Wednesday, 545 for food or 630 for the service in the sanctuary here. Then not too far after that is our Christmas Eve services. So mark your calendars if you haven't already. Christmas Eve is Friday and uh, we'll be gathering for three services, five o'clock, seven o'clock, and 11 p.m. So uh, we hope that you can join us and your friends and family too for one or all of those services to celebrate and reflect on the meaning of Christmas uh, this particular year. Uh, We also have a celebration that this past Wednesday night, we welcomed another family to town and kind of into the midst of our fellowship family, the Afghan uh, refugee family arrived at the airport uh, late Friday night with this welcoming committee, including that goon right in the front corner. I bet there's that guy. Woo! You know, but, uh, and there's one other photo there too, but we're thrilled to have them welcomed into our midst. They've moved into temporary housing, uh, the house of one of our own fellowship members, where they'll be until we can place them uh, elsewhere, and uh, looking forward to sharing life together. So, 
Thanks be to God for that and for those who welcome. In fact, let's just give a little applause for that, if you would. We look forward to the journey together. And then uh, President Jeff Jansma here with us. He does not like that title, but that's what it is until you change it. So uh, <laughs> he's here to bring a little bit of an update. We're glad to have you here. We missed you last week. I'm glad your family. Yeah, I know. We had, uh, um, we had a big Hawkeye loss, so I had to be quarantined. <laughs> um, but we even had a, a fellowship family brought up pizza. Big Michigan fan. Um, so we're not sure whether it was because of COVID or whether they felt so bad for how bad the Hawkeyes lost as to why we got that pizza, but it was wonderful. Um, so I'll keep veering off here, but we talked about um, the family that came in Friday night, um, and it, we've all been aware of that, but over the last couple months, different, you know, just as an example of the, 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 the involvement in the leadership of a fellowship in our community or whatever, several other churches, as they heard of what fellowship was doing, kept asking questions to different people about, so you're doing this family, you know, hosting a family, and how do you do that? And, um, and Nate and some of the staff and, and some of the fellowship members hosted a lunch not even two months ago um, here and, um, and just got Bethany involved and shared what we were doing, and Mary Moore explained about the process and how you put love on a family and and everything, and, um, and then they've had another lunch, and I think it's close to now 10 families out of that that are gonna be hosted um, in the community, all thanks to fellowship. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, very cool. That's, um, I think that's pretty amazing. That's cool. um, and then, um, so then you think about that, and I, I missed last week, Nate got to talk about the numbers with the graphs and everything. Um, but you think about that and how we've done that with Kids Hope and how we've done that with Hand to Hand and how the fellowship family doesn't, it's not just here, it's, it's beyond and beyond the U.S. and it's, it's beyond, right? And, um, and that, you know, so when we're talking about the, the giving and we weren't quite to where we were hoping we'd be, no panic, um, and just an awareness, just wanna make sure you guys are aware um, how important that is, your, um, your time and your resources. We have a lot of cool things planned for, for 2022, a lot of cool things planned for 22, um, and that's a big part of it. So nothing more than an awareness there. Wonderful. And thank you. Thank you, Jeff, and uh, we're grateful again that your family's doing well now, too, from a health standpoint. Hey, I'd like to invite our bell choir, start to move into your places as you would as we continue in worship, and even as Jeff has just reminded us, part of our worship is... Uh, to give, to give financially, to give our gifts and our talents and our time to God's glory. And so we can do that uh, in our worship this morning. And this is one of those expressions, giving of gifts and talents to God's glory. So the bell choir is going to lead us now as we continue in worship.
You may be seated. Well, the Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. Last week, if you were with us, you were invited to notice something different about the sanctuary space. If you missed us or if you are new, first off, welcome. We're glad you're here. But uh, Pastor Ross uh, invited us to notice these four lampposts on the platform, four lampposts that represent for us the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, a season that we call Advent. And, we'll, uh, and the focus of our Advent series being a uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But you know what's captured my imagination this week as I've been thinking about noticing is not so much what I don't notice, which is hard to be captured, but more what I do notice. Uh, things that I notice in everyday life that trigger for me uh, some emotional response, maybe a judgment or a story that I write about someone or something else. Maybe an exerciser will help. What, what do you notice about this house right behind me? Yeah, what else do you notice about this house? What do you notice about this house? What do you notice about this house? <laughs> Except for pity. No. Thank you, Susan. Uh, my hunch is that one of those house pictures might have caused for you a little emotional response. Something might have triggered in you, and a story or a judgment might have been written in your head about the people in that house. And sometimes when that happens, I wonder if we miss the rest of the picture. Did you notice in uh, the first house, you probably noticed the, the, the teal and the, the different colors of the house, the white trim, the, the, the door. They had a glass door in front of their front door. Maybe you noticed that there was a new tree. It might have been a new subdivision. Was it in Holland? We don't know. But in the second house, did you notice anything but the flag? Did you notice that there were garbage cans in front of the house? Or did you notice in the third house picture that the house that the flag was on wasn't even shown? There was no house in the picture except for the neighbor's house. Or the fourth picture, there was actually not even a door. It was just a wall of windows in rural who knows where Iowa. My point is that sometimes when we notice something, we miss the rest of the story. We miss what else might be being told to us. This Advent series, series that we're going through, we're invited to take a different way of noticing the, the names of this coming Messiah from the prophet Isaiah. And my hunch is that as we look at the third name, the everlasting Father, for some of us, there's an emotional response, I would say for all of us, there's an emotional response to the word Father. And it might make it difficult for us to pay attention to the rest of the story. We're going to take a look at that, but before we do, I want to tell you a little, little secret. Don't tell really smart cookie. 
I mean, he's kind of a, a brilliant organizer of things. He, he can take um, some really difficult concepts and, and he makes them understandable and, and he categorizes them and, he, and he's so structured and organized. I mean, for me, if you're an Enneagram person, he is like the epitome of an Enneagram one, at least a healthy one, I think, most of the time uh, in my eyes which is a belabored way of saying that I really, really love the way he's helping us think about the different names of this coming Messiah, this Advent series, through our feelings, through the name as it is recorded in the scriptures, through a twist in the name, and finally, through the promise of the name. And so that's what we're gonna do this morning with Everlasting Father. We're gonna identify some of the big feelings we have and the triggers that might be alive in us when we say Father. We're gonna consider what this name means in the Hebrew language, and there's a little twist, of course, and we'll end with a promise. My hunch is that speaking of fathers likely stirs something in all of us, and not the kind of stirring like I'm kind of having, like I had too much coffee, could you give me a minute? Not that kind of feeling. But by the way, uh, you know that feeling? You know that little uh, mode of response? I, I, as a eighth, ninth grader, this is about the time in the sermon that that feeling always came up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so if you are a, a high school, I'm sure that you guys would never have that feeling going like, oh, he's a couple minutes in. If I leave now, I can come back and there's only a couple minutes left of the sermon. Nobody's ever had that feeling at fellowship, right? It's not that kind of feeling, though, when we say father or fatherhood, is it? It's something deeper. It's below that kind of reactionary surface emotions. I think it's because it's impossible for us to divorce the name Everlasting Father from our earthly experiences with fathers. Unique to Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, those are kind of big, majestic names for God, but Father? That's close. Something stirs in us when we hear of that. Memories flood our minds. I, I know that because you've told me some of you think about the last moments you had with your dad or the moments you longed to have before they passed. Some of you wonder who your biological dad is and yet are also filled with gratitude for the father that raised you. Some of you are filled with shame about what you have done or not done as a father. Some of you miss your loving dads, especially as we embark on another Christmas season without them. Some of you admire your dads and hold them up as a hero in your life. And some of you wonder if you're a good enough dad or ever will be. Some of you long to be a father and wonder if that day will come. And others of you, if I'm really honest, are like me. And sometimes, like last night at 10 p.m., I get a text from my dad that causes something deep in me, and I'm filled with emotion and gratitude for who he is. The coming Messiah being named as everlasting Father is not just something we think about. It's something we feel deeply because our earthly fathers have had a tremendous impact on our lives. 
And in naming some of these instances or possible feelings of our father, it's not to diminish their significance and the role of the earthly fathers. In fact, we don't want to ignore the possible painful realities that exist when we talk about fatherhood. There's a diversity of emotions that are present within this very room when we talk about fathers. And bringing it up, it is my hope and longing that we can name that, but also maybe even find places and people within this very community, this community that we love, where we can talk about the really difficult things, because there are difficult things. And if you don't have those kind of people, I know that Pastor Ross or I would be happy to talk to you about that, because there's a lot of baggage with the word fathers. Not just emotional baggage, but there's also some, for some of us, maybe some theological baggage. We, we believe in a God that is a divine and omnipotent and way beyond our understanding and certainly is not limited to gender identification. And yet, so often, as the scriptures do, we identify God as father and son, he and him. And I know for some of us, that's a little bit difficult, too. Which is all to say that it's emotionally challenging to consider the coming Messiah as an everlasting father. And it's tempting, uh, in light of that challenge, to, to avoid the phrase altogether, to, to, to miss the whole house because of the one flag and not think about who lives inside of that. But that's not what we do, is it? We don't avoid difficult things just because it's hard to talk about. We don't ignore the whole picture just because of the one flag in the front yard. Maybe in examining the name of everlasting father in Hebrew, we'll actually discover that father is not the only or emphasis of the phrase. The name everlasting father is, as you might suspect in the Hebrew language, a combination of two words. It's not really one word, or it's not two words, it's actually one word that has two nouns smashed together. I'm going to nerd out a little bit, so if you have that kind of feeling, you know, this might be a good time to head out to the bathroom, because this will take a minute. Uh, what? Not you guys, you're not allowed to do that. The Hebrew word is aviad. I have a... a picture of it here in the Hebrew language, and it's the combination of eternal or eternity and father smashed into one. Okay, duh, it says everlasting father, Nate. We knew that already is two words. But what's interesting about that is in the Hebrew language, there are not very many adjectives. So they combine two nouns together to uh, describe the subject noun. In this case, avi, or eternal. No, wait, avi is dad. Ad, which is eternal, the second noun, is what they're trying to highlight. It's called the genitive quality case. It's, it's, it's describing the second noun in, in a more robust way. Okay, so that's kind of tricky. So maybe a, a couple examples would help. They're in Exodus 29, they say garments and holiness are two nouns that they smash together, and they say that that is garments of holiness, or holy garments would be the way that we translate in English. Two words, even though it's one word. Or another example might be the scales 
of justice. Justice and scales have been two words that have been combined together to make just scales. It's a little confusing because we're still using two words in the English language. So maybe one with one word would be helpful. In Exodus 5, there's the word phrase, words and deception are smashed together to make words of deception. Deceptive words, which we in the English language translate as lies. That's a better picture of what this word is. It's two words that have been combined to make one word that you, you can't, and yet one of the words is the subject. Maybe an example, again, will help. I got a picture of my new friend, Cleisthenes, up here. Have you, do you know who Cleisthenes is? His monument there on the right is actually uh, the cornerstone of the State House in Ohio. Why? Well, Cleisthenes, uh, in 500 BC in Athens, uh, along his clan, along with the Spartan clan, went and took over this uh, oppressive ruler called Hippias. He was a tyrant, you might say, and was ruling with a really heavy thumb. And in 510, I can never pronounce his name, Cleisthenes and the Spartans, their combined clans, took over this oppressive ruler. Well, the Spartans said, okay, we got rid of him, and now we, the Spartan clan, will rule instead of the evil Hippians. And Cleisthenes was like, well, that's kind of silly. Why are we replacing one bad government with another form of bad government? And so he, along with a bunch of people in the middle class, actually overtook the Spartans right after they gained power. He and the middle class overtook their power. And he said, let's change things up a little bit. Instead of one clan being the ruler and the one clan rotated between kind of five ruling clans, what if we took all the clans of Athens, all 10 of them, and they all sent a representative to help rule our government? Cleisthenes is remembered because he is, uh, his work became, and his work as a lawyer became the, the footings for democracy. His representative government is how you could say was the beginnings of our democracy that we know and experience in America. For this reason, Cleisthenes is often known as the father of democracy. In Hebrew, when we say God is the everlasting Father, we could also say he is the Father of eternity, like the Father Time, or Mother Earth, or the Father of Democracy, meaning the everlasting Father is the originator, the author, the perfecter, the, the absolute epitome of eternity. Which is why later in Isaiah, God says, from eternity to eternity, I am God. The everlasting Father, the coming Messiah, is also eternal in nature. Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come, says the Lord God. The coming Messiah is both everlasting in nature and the expression, the epitome, the author, the perfecter of eternity. Fine and good, Nate. Oh, duh. It's Jesus you're talking about. Of course he's eternal. We all knew that. Why are you telling us that this morning? Well, here's the twist. 
Here's the thing that I think is most interesting about all of this. If the father word was the genitive quality noun used to describe eternity, to reveal the nature of the coming Messiah as everlasting, and the perfect picture of God's eternal reign, if the subject was eternity, why is the loaded, emotional, masculine term father used? Why not king of eternity? Or maybe better yet, why not ruler of eternity? Why not everlasting supreme? Why not par excellence eternal? Why father? Because father is relationship. Father is love. Father is intimacy. Father is family. God doesn't desire for us to be the subjects of eternity. God isn't looking to rule over from eternity all those subjects down there and be distant from humanity. God isn't holding eternity hostage for divine pleasure. God is in the business of creating a family to share God's eternal love with. When we look past the emotionally triggering word, Father, we see a parent who deeply, deeply desires to share an eternal relationship with their children. Which means that if God is our everlasting Father, we are God's eternal children. Genesis 1 says that we are made in God's image. In baptism, we say that you are marked as Christ's own forever. Paul in 1 Corinthians reminds us, I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. Which means there's nothing we can do to change that. We can't change our identity. We can't change the fact that God's love is for his children no matter your abilities or your appearance, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how much you have or don't have, no matter your background or your pedigree, no matter your feelings of inadequacy or your feelings of narcissism, you are loved by the everlasting Father, the eternal one. It may come as no surprise to you that in the Skipper house, sometimes we have some big feelings, some big emotions. And sometimes we say we compound our big mistakes with two mistakes by having one mistake and then having another mistake made by overreacting to that mistake. And to be honest, we're all sometimes guilty of that. Maybe your family can uh, relate to that a little bit. I remember one time, though, our fam one person in our family, um, one of the younger people in our family, made a pretty big mistake. And they had some big consequences on the other thing. And, you know, being the earthly father I am, sometimes I have a big reactions to those big mistakes. And I make two mistakes out of one mistake. Buy one, get one free style, you know. And this time, that caused a great deal of sadness and grief, shame, disappointment in one of my people in my home, and they ran up to their room. After a little while, I decided it was time for me and go have a talk. And so I walked in to the door and click, it's locked. I was not quite invited in. 
knock, knock, knock. Still not necessarily warmly welcomed quite yet, but after some negotiation, I was invited into the room. It was difficult because amidst tears and sadness, one of the little people in my house said, I messed up. I don't deserve to be a part of this family anymore. What do you say as a parent? What do you say as a father? There's nothing you can do to take away my love for me. You are a part of this family because you are my child. You can't change that. And I'm going to try my best to love you as best as I can. How much more would an everlasting father, the God of eternity, love you? Friends, there's nothing you can do to change it. The author, the perfecter, the epitome of, and the father of eternity, the everlasting father who created you, loves you, and would go to the greatest lengths a human could ever go to, to express his desire to be in relationship with you. God wants to be in eternity and experience eternity with you because you are his child. This is the good news of Christmas. This is why we celebrate together, because Jesus Christ is the epitome of the par excellence, the supreme vision of God's eternal love for his children. It's a promise that we know best, well, maybe best said by Paul in Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither heights nor depths, nor any powers, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe the best thing we can do this Advent season as we wait for Christmas is open our hearts to that God of love to be reminded and remember that we are God's children. And God is a loving Father. May the words of this song wash over us as we consider that this morning.
Would you stand and let's sing together as we go from this place. Oh, come all ye faithful.
My friends, the Father of eternity, the eternal Father, has called you his children, and you are loved. As you go into another week, rest and relax and relish in that truth. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of that everlasting Father, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.